You're listening to the Niners Bros, your home for post-game analysis, correcting media narratives, and keeping you up to date on all things San Francisco 49ers. What's up, guys? I'm Michael Ditchfield. And I'm David Ditchfield, and we are the Niners Bros. On this week's episode, we break down the 49ers regular season finale, another disappointing, underwhelming 25-point victory. Yeah, I mean, a win's a win. You gotta <laughs> gotta take them when they come. So, uh, obviously, all joking aside, it's great to win and it's great to win big. This game definitely got off to a bit of a shaky start, but fortunately, the 49ers were able to right the ship just in time to head off to the playoffs. Yeah, a lot of angst on social media during the game that ended up being a 38 to 13 blowout. So, tenth straight win for the 49ers. Moves them to 13-4, and four, good for second in the NFC after the Eagles locked up the number one seed against the uh, Giants' backups. The Cardinals, on the other hand, fall to 4-13 and 13 and fired Cliff Kingsbury today, and Steve Kime, the GM, walked away more so due to health reasons, and we won't be flippant about that, but definitely a team headed in the wrong direction. Yeah, that's rough for the Cardinals to lose the GM and the head coach. Uh, Kingsbury had a pretty rough tenure there, going 28-37-1 and 37 and one, uh, during his four years there. Most notably, they just signed him like 10 months ago yeah. through 2027. So uh, just like another head coach that we got um, displaced, Matt Rule. <laughs> Between Matt Rule and however much money the Cardinals owe Cliff Kingsbury, like you could buy an island. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of people pointed out there's that famous picture of Kingsbury during the draft where he's just sitting in that palatial, you know, house James by the Bond pool. villain yeah. lair. Yeah. yeah. So I guess he'll just have to, to he'll go. be fine. Yeah. Yeah. We're not too worried about him. So we're not going to do a full drive by drive recap like we usually do on this podcast. We know that's kind of our thing. But if you're anything like us, I mean, this was kind of a meaningless game. We're kind of more <laughs> more interested in getting on to the playoffs. So um, we'll still talk about the game a little bit, but we also want to talk about around the league, who's in the playoffs, who's out, which coaches got fired, and how happy should the Niners be with their first-round playoff draw. So we'll get into the storylines uh, for the game really quick. Uh, for the Niners, there wasn't that much going on, really. It was just the question coming in, would we finish the day as the number one seed, the number two, or the number three? And could we make it 10 in a row? And then also interested to see Debo and Mitchell yep. coming back from some injuries, interested to see if they would be at full speed. And also you just hope that you avoid any other serious injuries and in what would likely be a meaningless game. For Arizona, David Blau got the start with, um, of course, Kyler Murray out with the ACL and Colt McCoy kind of hurting too. And they held DeAndre Hopkins and a few other starters out. They knew they had nothing to play for. Really for them, the big story of this game was just J.J. Watt playing in his final you know, his final career game, a big story. And J.J. Watt should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. When you talk about players who have made an enormous impact on the field, other names that come to mind, like he's in that Aaron Donald sort of category. As good as Nick Bosa has been this year, we are expecting him to win the Defensive Player of the Year award. And that is something that J.J. Watt did three times in his career. Defensive yeah. player of the year three times. Five-time pro bowler, five-time all-pro. Um, and then perhaps most notably, of course, the Walter Payton man of the year. This is a guy who dominated on the field and was an inspiration off the field. Certainly, uh, very memorably, he led heroic efforts after some of those hurricanes sure. um, where there was just complete devastation. He's standing there behind these trucks, unloading water bottles, raising millions and millions of dollars. So JJ Watt, just a phenomenal player, phenomenal person. And in a game where 
He knows this is his final game. His wife and kid is there, newborn, newborn baby. Mm-hmm. And this was a game where, you know, he had nothing to play for. The Cardinals had nothing to play for, but he played his butt off. He did. He got two sacks and he was just living in the backfield all day was responsible really with his pressure for a third sack. Brock Purdy does not get sacked a lot. So for him to have two and to force all those pressures, he just played unbelievably in this game. I was pleased to see the 49ers faithful. If you were at the game, I'm sure you saw this, but just very respectful, you know, gave him a nice ovation and and nice to see good sportsmanship and, you know, good to celebrate such a fantastic career. So anyway, the game started with the Cardinals getting the ball and all they did on the second play of the game was a trick play 77-yard bomb to A.J. Green over Diamador Lenore's fingertips. And then Gibson kind of got lost in the shuffle there. And A.J. Green walks in for the touchdown. And you're just kind of losing your mind. Like, is this how we're just going to start every game is with, you know, some sort of deep touchdown to, to an under underwhelming opponent who really shouldn't. But I think it brings up bigger questions about Diamador Lenore. He seems to after not giving up any touchdowns until this week, you know, we've noticed teams really picking on him and taking more and more deep shots and a lot of questions about what that means for his future, especially as we begin a playoff run. Yeah. I think this may have been like the 49ers best kept secret for a while, but the word is out. It's not a secret anymore. The difference in skill and ability and certainly experience too. Um, the gap is pretty wide between Mooney Ward and Diamador Lenore. He's played really well at times, but he's also played very, very poorly, very inconsistently. And it's really frustrating to see him give up big play after big play. On this one especially, the ball came out so late, and it was really underthrown. So Lenore is basically just sitting there waiting. To be fair, there was there was definitely a, a bit of, contact. of yeah, there was a push off um, from AJ Green. Probably not enough to call. It, it certainly wasn't wasn't as bad as some that we've seen. You're, you you can't bet on getting that call. Again, there was contact, but he mistimed the jump, didn't even get his hands on it. And that ball was in the air for so long. You mentioned Gibson kind of getting lost. I don't think it's that he got lost. He saw how short the ball was. He saw that Lenore had a play on it. And instead of being an idiot and having two guys on the same team trying to catch the same ball and then you end up dropping it, he actually did a smart thing, I thought, and kind of fell behind the play just in case something happens. Ultimately, he wasn't able to make the tackle. A.J. Green kind of snuck through and and scored for a touchdown. But I think he did the right thing there, kind of backing up his guy and playing it smart, making sure that you can at least have a chance to stop the guy if it is somehow completed. But it's it's so frustrating. We saw this last week, too, where the 49ers and Diamador Lenore specifically are playing way off in coverage, like 10 yards down the field. There's a massively underthrown ball. You're waiting for it to come down. And in that case, um, Devontae Adams makes the catch. Um, In this one, A.J. Green. Obviously, those are two of the best wide receivers to do it in the last decade. But still, you, you would really like to see much more competitiveness and it is definitely concerning that the 49ers can be beaten through the air and they are susceptible to deep shots. They have not been great on third and longs either, yep. which is remarkable for such an unbelievable defense, like the number one or number two DVOA defense in the league to struggle so, 
so much with giving up those big plays and those long third downs. It's really unusual and definitely an area of concern. I think the problem is it's telling teams where to go on third and long. You know, the, there's not <laughs> a big debate in that room or in that huddle. Where do we go here? Well, you take a deep shot at 38. So we'll see if the 49ers do anything about it, whether they just try to coach him up heading into the playoffs or whether they put a veteran like Janoris Jenkins in that position on those third downs or maybe mix up their coverages, make it look like man, and then go to a zone. So hopefully Gibson is underneath that ball to catch it instead of Lenore, which which certainly happened later in this game. And it was interesting too. D'Amico Ryans was asked this week about their coverages and whether or not Mooney Ward is going to travel um, to cover whoever the opponent's best receiver is. And that's not something that they have done a lot of. We're going to get into this um, Perhaps ironically, the game where he traveled the most was against the Seahawks and DK Metcalf, but he kind of gave a non-answer saying, well, we don't want to announce what we're doing, but it didn't really make sense because if you are not allowing Mooney Ward to travel, then you are announcing what you're doing. If they know what side Mooney Ward is going to be lining up on, they are going to call plays to the other side. And we've been seeing this now consistently for the last couple of weeks, Pete Carroll and certainly anybody who's going to be having a chance to play the 49ers they are looking at 38 for sure yeah it's disappointing too I was hoping that Jarrett Siddham would have a really awesome game against the Chiefs and that would make me feel better about how many points we gave up to the Raiders but he did not yeah Um, so it wasn't a great feeling to come out in this game against a a fourth string quarterback and get lit up on the first drive but uh, anyway the Cardinals did miss the extra point and the 49ers answered right away they didn't get rocked or, or, or rattled by it. They had a six play 75 yard touchdown drive that ended with a screen to McCaffrey that he took 21 yards for a touchdown. And they never really looked back after that. They never trailed. The offense did look a little stale though, and a little bit shaky, you know, a lot of short runs for McCaffrey. Purdy was getting sacked quite a bit. He got sacked four times. You already mentioned two of them from JJ Watt. And he took a bad one too, a 17 yard one where Shanahan was, was yelling in his <laughs> ear uh, quite a bit. Um, but yeah, um, in the first half, we did get touchdowns from Elijah Mitchell um, and then Kittle. So we went into halftime up 21 to 13, but still, you know, it felt like this is not a team that we should be beating by only eight points. I know that if you extrapolate that out among two halves, it would have been, you know, 42 to, to 26, but still. One really nice thing to see was, again, the return of Elijah Mitchell. You mentioned uh, Debo Samuel coming back as well. Uh, Mitchell definitely had more of an impact in this one. Debo, I believe he only had like two catches for 20 yards, so not really much of a factor in the game plan for this one. But it's hard to say that someone has fresh legs when they've had two like really substantial MCL injuries in the same year, but he looked really fresh. He He looked fast. He looked strong. Um, He was really, really moving well, breaking tackles, looked really good if McCaffrey and Mitchell can stay healthy the 49ers really do have a strong and legitimate chance to make a playoff run yeah Mitchell had a 37 yarder that counted as a run but it was really a swing pass uh, swing pass behind the line of scrimmage and he looked very very fast but the 49ers as we said went in with an eight point lead at halftime and it was interesting coming out the sideline reporter said that Shanahan was not pleased with the effort (laughs) and was not impressed and if we had had a bigger lead might have 
rested starters, but allegedly, what, allegedly, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't believe it. Kyle, Kyle is like a pedal to the metal kind of a guy. Yeah, but that's what they said was that he wanted to see more from the starters, and they responded. All three possessions that they had in the third quarter, they scored. They had a another Elijah Mitchell touchdown, um, a short field goal from Robbie Gold, and then Kittle got his second touchdown of the game after a J.P. Mason run was called back. His his knee was ruled down short of of the goal line. Um, in Arizona, on the other hand, the defense really clamped down they had an interception a fumble forced by jordan willis who seems to really be coming on uh, and then a turnover on down so there was no scoring in the fourth quarter that was really it that's that's what put the game away was that yeah they they did pull purdy pretty early in that one um josh johnson came in and handed the ball off like 30 times i think yeah (laughs) didn't uh didn't have a passing attempt we were kind of wondering like who is going to actually sneak onto the field uh to get some game time in the end of the regular season we did see some some guys that haven't been um, featured as much. Um, Al Shire, of course, was playing a lot with Dre Greenlaw being inactive in this one. But you saw Oren Burks a lot um, in playing linebacker, not just special teams. You saw Odom playing safety, not just special teams. And he got an interception, uh, too. He did. He did on a really, really horrible, horrible <laughs> throw from the Cardinals, what is essentially like their fourth-string quarterback if everybody's healthy. Um, so Womack did come in and played some cornerback. We saw Janoris Jenkins as well. Um, a lot of guys again that have been kind of these bench warmers or, or rotational. Good to see them at least get on the field a little bit. And I think my favorite thing, I guess, about this game was the distribution of carries. Sure. Because we have been talking about this for so long about how the 49ers, have been running McCaffrey into the ground. And in this game, it was a really a, a healthy mix of McCaffrey, of Mitchell, of Mason, and even Ty Davis-Price. Yeah. So it was really great to see all of the running backs getting involved, making contributions, and not just running McCaffrey into the ground for no reason. Yeah. So I was really happy to see that. Flanagan Foles had like a minor neck injury, but other than that, it's nice to escape a regular season finale without any major injuries yeah. or aggravations of injuries. You know, Ambry Thomas, a little bit of an ankle, but but no starters were injured, you know, during during that final game, which is huge heading into the playoffs. So yeah. you go in as, as healthy as you've been to this point so we're missing emmanuel mosley for sure um you know i can't even imagine like how how confident would you feel if there's no essentially no secondary issues but yeah that was just a a really um phenomenal phenomenal way to end the season again they started off really rusty in this game and that was concerning right you don't want to win a like a just a squeaker against the raiders you almost blew that game and then you go in against a really inferior team in the Cardinals who are missing a lot of talent, resting a lot of guys. You didn't want to have an uninspiring kind of win. So to come out to finish the way they did offensively and especially defensively after that um, first drive, just miserable to give up a 70-yard-plus touchdown, they really put the clamps down. So great to see that. There were a ton of really cool things that happened in this game. A lot of stats and kind of, you know, season recap, if you will. A lot of really awesome milestones and things that we just want to touch base on briefly here. So, uh, again, we mentioned the 49ers won their 10th straight game to end the season. That's the first time in franchise history they have ever done that. 
Uh, and we mentioned the Cardinals have been really struggling. They lost their seventh in a row, which is mm-hmm. has kind of been a hallmark of Cliff Kingsbury's teams. They really they start off well and then just down in flames as the season goes on, even going back to his college days. Yep. So worth noting there. Bosa, of course, came into the game needing two and a half sacks to break the 49ers all-time sack record, which was set by Alden Smith. So Bosa did have a sack in this game, mm-hmm. and he finished the year with 18 and a half. So that is good for the number one spot in the NFL, but he did fall one uh, one sack shy of tying Alden Smith in the same number of games, we should mention as well. Sure. Um, with the expanded season now to 17, but Bosa did miss a game. So And everyone is talking about him as the shoe-in for Defensive Player of the Year because it's not just the sacks, it's the tackles for loss, it's the, the total amount of pressures, and 49ers in the locker room afterwards we're talking about how he should be considered for MVP not just because of the sacks but when they've occurred so many of his sacks have been you know turnover forcing you know drive drive. killing yeah exactly like right when you needed it most so good for him and he also leads the league I know it doesn't feel like it (laughs) 49ers fans um, it, it just seems like Bosa can't ever get a holding call. We know, we understand, we feel the exact same way because he is held on pretty much every single passing rush that he does. That being said, he did actually lead the league in penalties forced as well. Uh, again, it doesn't feel like it, but there was one really bad one where the guy basically bear hugged him and tried to tackle him from behind. If not for that holding, Bosa would have tied Alden Smith in this game. Sure. Another really impressive milestone, Brandon Ayuk hits 1,000 yards receiving for the first time in his career. Really great to see that. Um, Ayuk has been kind of famously in Shanahan's doghouse for a while. You know, different expectations um, in terms of what Shanahan expects from his wide receivers, in terms of blocking, in terms of always being consistent with your routes, but... He has really come a long way. His route running has been exceptional this year. Yep. He's had some drop issues, but he has also made some spectacular catches in traffic. And certainly uh, he is a, a member of the Yak Bros uh, where he's just really, really great once he gets the ball in his hands. So great to see him eclipse the uh, thousand yard mark for the first time this year. Yeah, nice to see George Kittle getting more involved too. Um, finally, finally getting some touchdowns. Um, this was his career high in touchdowns, and he passed Travis Kelsey in yardage in his first six seasons um, with the two touchdowns in this game. Um, and also, it's kind of cool. His hundred-year-old grandma was in the stands for this, and and the fans all sang to her. That was that was a nice moment. So. Yeah, pretty great to have two touchdowns while your hundred-year-old grandma is in attendance. So. Uh, really good genes in that family. I'm, I'm not going to say how old she looked, but I will say she definitely did not look like she was 100. So um, Kittle, <laughs> Kittle has seven touchdowns in the last four games from Brock Purdy, mm. and he had five touchdowns against the Cardinals this year. He finishes with 11, which just blew away his previous um, record for touchdowns in a season. So as you know, we are huge uh, George Kittle homers on this podcast, so really great to see him getting involved, uh, especially in the red zone. Um, another really um, impressive stat, Purdy um, has a career high in touchdowns in a single game with three, and he actually broke the 49ers franchise rookie record uh, for touchdowns in a season with 11, which is pretty impressive when you consider how few games he's actually played in. Um 
He's also uh, another interesting stat from Purdy. So he had six games in a row, six consecutive games of two-plus touchdown passes. That's hard to do. It really is hard to do. Jimmy hasn't done that. And he actually just fell one game shy of Justin Herbert's record. So Herbert actually has the record of consecutive two-plus touchdown games with seven. You have to think if the regular season had gone on another week, Purdy would have had that one. But um, just a, a great... Great start for, well, for Purdy. Anyone who had any questions about, you know, when he came in in that Miami game and was this sustainable, you know, we've beaten playoff teams now with Purdy. And since he came in, he's leading the league since, you know, since he came in, of course, not total, but since he came in, he's leading the league in passing touchdowns, passer rating, yards per attempt and wins. Um, some good, good info from Akash and Averathon, who we always encourage people to follow. He's always spitting good stats, but yeah, it's wild. Um, and, you know, something we talked about how, after his first game, some fans were wanting to basically anoint him and crown him as the future of the franchise, which, you know, we kind of criticized them. That's that's premature. And we talked about how, you know, you definitely need to expect some kind of inconsistency or drop off from Jimmy Garoppolo. And the crazy thing is he's actually getting better. Yeah. He's not. I mean, obviously, he got off to a crazy start, but he is looking so much better Again, the start of this game, he looked kind of off. There were interviews going around about his background as a middle infielder playing baseball in college, and I don't know if it's just a coincidence or if he got in his head with that, but he was trying to do all kinds of weird arm angle throws to start this game, and I was wondering if that was something where, again, he got in his head or, again, maybe just a coincidence, but really rough start, but he has been really impressive. Um we talked about how you know you, you expect to see a drop off in accuracy and decision making from Garoppolo based on what he was doing earlier this year and he's actually brought a lot of stuff to the table in terms of the escapability in the pocket not taking the sacks he's able to throw the ball away um, you know, he again, again, you mentioned he did have a 17 yard <laughs> loss yeah and he did he had one of those in the preseason too which which I think is rookie, ha- rookie mistake and yeah. you know that that's something where sometimes you're going to have those plays you, you take the spectacular plays along with those plays but the really impressive thing has been the decision making in preseason he definitely looked you know I hate to use this sort of comparison but he kind of looked like a puppy like just super <laughs> excited so thrilled to be there he had happy feet he was sprinting around the pocket when he didn't really need to he was throwing like crazy on the run even in the pocket for no reason yeah. And he has really calmed down. He's got decisive, confident throws. He's standing in the pocket. He's actually planting. He's throwing. He's looked really, really good. And it it seems like he's really got the right stuff to do this. Yeah, so I think one thing that no one's really talking about with Purdy, you know, some people are trying to say, well, you know, how do you know, you know, if he has any long-term future, I mean, he's just relying on all the weapons around him. It's like, yes, that's what you do in the NFL. You know, it could be that the reason he fell to the seventh round is not just because he's a little short and has a bad arm, but can you name for me any of the people who were blocking for him at Iowa State or any of the people he was throwing to? I mean, can you can you write a Pro Bowl sort of candidacy for any of the people that he was playing with in preseason, you know, Danny Gray and, and people like that? No. Okay, so who's to say that the reason why he wasn't skyrocketing up all these scouting sort of profiles was that he wasn't playing with superior, superior talent. And once he's surrounded by these guys, all he has to do is 
is kind of go where Kyle wants him to go with the ball, and he is executing the offense at a level that we have scored 30 points in every Brock Purdy game except Seattle on the road with three days to prepare and, and, a, and a busted oblique. We've scored 30 yeah. points in every game except for that one. So, And that speaks to the point differential in general, which has been such a strong suit. Yeah, and so he has been nothing less than stellar. As you mentioned, he's basically first in pretty much any meaningful quarterback statistic since he's taken over the reins you talk about all the weapons that he has a lot of these weapons were here when cj bethard was the quarterback when mullins was the quarterback and basically outside of jimmy garoppolo the 49ers have not been able to win games unless jimmy g is starting so to see um purdy come on like this obviously yes it's it's the weapons around him yes it's the coaching but this guy is an nfl um quality starting quarterback you see some people on twitter just talking about how oh it's all the weapons it's all the weapons he you know he has nothing to do with their success it's like you think if the 49ers cut purdy like any other teams would be interested yeah I it, think they at would. his on his rookie seventh round salary <laughs> yeah <laughs> wow yeah so it's amazing the 49ers they, they win this game you know and, and they finish the season first in points differential which is a stat you've heard me latch on to earlier in, in our kind of podcast recaps and talking about just how important that is to, to prove that you're a dominating team. Nice to see them finish the year with 20 interceptions too, a year after they only had nine and who knew that Gibson in August is like a, what it was like a waiver pickup, you know, five interceptions for him this year and for, for Hufanga after last season ending with Jaquaski Tart failing to intercept the ball. So nice to double up our interception total from last year. It's funny. I don't know if this is a thing for Tayshawn Gibson or not, but funny for him to get his fifth interception on the day when the Bears also lose and get the number one draft pick. So the worst team in the NFL was not interested in this guy in the preseason. And boy, John Lynch has to be in conversation for executive of the year. When you look at some of these pickups, the guy has been really stellar for most of the year, five interceptions for a guy that the Bears didn't even want on their practice squad. Um, another guy who's been really um, instrumental to the 49ers' success has been Ray Ray McLeod. Um, he hasn't had a ton of opportunities on offense, but when he has, he's made the most of them. He's got some really long receptions. Of course, he had that 70-plus yard touchdown rushing a couple of weeks ago. And the nice thing, maybe the nicest thing, is just not having to worry about punts. Yep. We haven't seen the punt touchdowns or the kick return touchdowns, but it is so nice to know that there is somebody who is sure-handed back there. I think 49ers fans forget how bad it's been. Like, who is the best 49ers punt returner from the last five or ten years? It's probably Trent Taylor, yeah. who never played because of his chronic back issues. Brandon Ayuk was absolutely atrocious as a punt returner. Congrats to him for the 1,000-yard receiving. But basically, he called poison on every single ball. Like, he refused. let it roll. Yeah, he refused to catch a punt in the air. And just every punt goes for 50, 60, 70 yards, and he's not returning them. Just looked so shaky. So it's just great, great to finally have some confidence on special teams, which was an area really where the 49ers struggled mightily last yeah. year they finished 15th i think in in sort of like the analytic rankings and and then finishing you know top 10 in both offense and of course number number one in defense so yeah give give a ton of credit to john lynch and, and we went undefeated in the division as well which is huge to to sweep the division so that's going to do it as far as the 
recap of the Arizona game, we're going to talk a little bit about what happened in the league, um, as we alluded to earlier, the teams that kind of squeaked into the playoffs, the teams that ended up missing out. So first, I think we need to take a moment to talk about what happened in Buffalo. Of course, last week, so sad to see DeMar Hamlin not just knocked unconscious, but actually needing CPR. Um, yeah, to cardiac be arrest. Yeah, after his heart stopped. Um, reports that he finally was conscious, breathing on his own, and able to FaceTime his teammates um, and even watch the game. And how cool, how how magical or, or spiritual to borrow from uh, you know from Josh Allen's press conference that they were able to take the opening kickoff all the way for a touchdown. What a what a cool moment that sort of transcended sports. Yeah, that's like a, a movie moment. Like if you watch that in a movie, you're like, oh, that you know, based based on a true story, right? Like, yeah, that's ridiculous. There's no way that actually happened. Just so cool. Like I have goosebumps thinking about it. You know, for the team to come back and for Naheem Hines to have that opening kickoff return for touchdown, he did also have another, another one kickoff. Later, yeah, <laughs> yeah, two two kickoff returns um, in the same game for a touchdown. Both of them over 95 yards. So that was wild. Um, of course. So so they did win that one for Demar. Uh, I thought it was really cool. Also, just to kind of see how unified like the whole country has been over this event yeah and i know it sounds funny to say but it feels to me kind of like the last time the country was this united about anything was probably 9-11 again i know that sounds crazy to say but um just universal support for this young man his his charity drive for for toys i I don't even know what the number is now i I stopped over eight million or something they were looking for like twenty five hundred dollars and in the aftermath of this event his charity raked in like eight million dollars which is just unbelievable. So it would be nice if humans in general didn't require tragic events and awful, awful circumstances to pull together to remember that you need to be kind. It's important to be generous, um, to come together, to to put aside your differences, to realize that life is so fragile and to prioritize faith and family. It would be great if we didn't require these horrible events to, to come together and to do that. But that's just human nature. I did think it was really cool to see Dan Orlovsky actually take a moment on TV and stop and pray. I'm surprised he didn't get fired for that. Um, but <laughs> sure. really cool. You know, everyone always says like, oh, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Right. Um, but it was really cool. That's that's not just something that you say. It should be something that you do. So if you're saying prayers up or praying for you, you should actually be praying. Because if not, what are you doing? That's that's really insincere. Yeah. yeah, and it, you know that drives me nuts when you just hear people say that and you know it's meaningless. So I thought for him to take a moment on TV and just actually do that, I thought that was really cool, really genuine, and again, just so glad that Hamlin is going to be okay. He was we discharged. Don't. Yeah, I, I think he still has to go back uh, for for some more checkups and things at another hospital. Hospital, but he's he's walking. He was discharged from the hospital today. So, and I don't know what the rest of his NFL career is going to be like if he's interested in playing again or not. That's again, it doesn't really matter. Secondary, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's just so awesome to see that he was able to make a full recovery. And props to the athletic trainers and the medical staff for literally keeping that young man alive. Just such a great story. Ultimately. Yeah, it feels sort of secondary to get back to talking about football, but of course there were other games and, and important games that, that were played this weekend. The Vikings beat the Bears to sort of force the 49ers hand to make sure we played our starters. I think if they had lost in that early window, Shanahan might have pulled back on McCaffrey or others, but they they won. Um, so we knew that we had to win to to hang on to our number two seed. The Bears with that loss finished <laughs> last place with the first overall pick in the draft. And 
in part, in large part, if the Texans had lost, that would not have happened. Or, or, but, but of course, Lovey Smith, <laughs> coaching, coaching for his life for the Texans, decided to just go completely rogue. He left his heart. Quarter. He left his heart in Chicago. Yeah, uh, just decides to go for it on all these fourth and tens, and then they tie the game. They well, they almost tie the game, and then instead he decides to go for two for the win, <laughs> and in doing so, gyps them out of the first overall pick, um, and then is fired. Like and that that's later. why he got fired right there. <laughs> like, come on, come on. It was funny. I did see a stat that the Texans are actually the only team in the NFL to convert multiple fourth and tens this year. So fourth down and 10 to go. They are the only team to do that more than once. And they did it twice in the same drive. Yeah. So, yeah, Lovey. uh, Yeah, I don't know. He might find his way back to Chicago after that one. They're going to have a hard time filling that position. As long as Nick Casario is there, he has hired two candidate, two uninspiring head coaching candidates in a row and then fired them after one year who is going to want that job with Nick Casario and, and his unsteady leadership and no quarterback and a mostly talentless roster that's just it's yeah just you mess. can say it's a rebuild but it doesn't really feel like a rebuild it feels like they're just really really bad yep and having <laughs> having an early draft pick does not mean that you're in rebuild mode you have to be actually committed to getting better and to hiring the right people and Maybe not as bad as the Cardinals in terms of a franchise outlook, but certainly uh, not very sunny in Houston. Yeah, not a shock that reports of D'Amico Ryans, even though he played there, not being interested in that job. So I wouldn't be. Elsewhere in the NFL, Miami snuck into the playoffs with an 11-6 to win over the Jets in a battle of the backups. Um, they were able to to contain, you know, Joe Flacco. You, you know, that's yeah. your only hope. You can't stop him. Your only hope is to contain Joe Flacco. Interestingly, the Steelers, even though they're not headed to the playoffs, they did win, moving to nine and eight, which keeps Mike Tomlin's impressive sixteen-year streak alive. He has never had a losing season. It really is amazing going back all the way to two thousand and seven that Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season. You look at Kyle Shanahan. He is widely regarded as an offensive genius and one of the greatest head coaches out there right now. And he just got over 500 as a coach this year. Obviously, he took over a piss-poor roster, the 49ers, coming out of the Harbaugh era and uh, the Trent Balky era really is what it was. Um, Balky put together a terrible, terrible team. And so that's what Kyle Shanahan was taking over for, had to completely overhaul the roster. And then they've had just the worst injury luck of just about any team. All of that to say, there's really no excuses. It's a win-now league, and most coaches who have a 500 record are usually on the hot seat. Um, It does not seem at all, certainly after this year, that Shanahan or Lynch are on the hot seat. But again, you look at a guy who is this highly regarded and just got over 500 this year for his his career as a head coach. Uh, Dallas kind of wet the bed against the Commanders. Not great for them. I mean, they still had something to play for. If the Eagles had lost, Dallas could have theoretically won the division. That was pretty bad. Dak Prescott just keeps throwing interceptions left and right. Not an inspiring effort as they get ready to play the Bucks in the playoffs next week. Elsewhere, Seattle stayed alive by beating the Rams barely 19 to 16 in overtime. And then it all came down to that Green Bay and <laughs> Detroit Lions game on Sunday night. And what a game it was. Green Bay, all they had to do was win and they were in. 
at home. Yeah, Lions knew that they were eliminated, and you just love Dan Campbell and, and the moxie of that team. They came in and they said, well, it's us or nobody. <laughs> you yeah. know, we're we're going to play just as hard whether we've been eliminated or not because we're certainly not going to just send them to the playoffs. And it's funny, this is obviously a 49ers podcast, but for whatever reason, we've talked about the Lions and Dan Campbell specifically, I think, every week. They're just such a fun team. Yeah. And, you know, they've got a really great quarterback now. You know, the Rams could really use a guy like Jared Goff. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, yeah, Baker Mayfield, unfortunately, my guy that I thought should have been our backup, did throw an interception that basically uh, lost the game for the Rams. But the Lions are fun to watch. And how about Jamal Williams? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I tweeted about this. Like, yeah. his introduction, I still don't know. I'm, I'm not 100% sure where he said he was from or where he was going or what he was doing with his, like, Star Trek headband. Yeah. I don't I don't really know. But... I did not realize that Jamal Williams was this crazy until this year yeah. uh, as he broke Barry Sanders' season record for rushing touchdowns. Congrats to him for that. But I always just kind of thought of him as the vulture who was keeping Aaron Jones from being fantasy elite, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, robbing all those goal line touches. But he is a character, and how great for him to break Barry Sanders' record at Lambeau against his former team, Um Again, they didn't make the playoffs, but they finished with a winning record, and that's a, about as yeah, good as it could be They stuck for him. it to division rival Aaron Rodgers, who walked off the field, declined to give his jersey to a Lions player who asked, you know, had his arm around Randall Cobb, and, and either that's the last time we see him ever or probably the last time we see him. He was sending strong, I'm not coming back to Lambeau Field vibes, and frankly, I wouldn't blame them if they decided to move off of him. I mean, that's three straight years where, where they've lost a deciding game at Lambeau Field with really underwhelming play from Aaron Rodgers. And there was one play specifically where Rodgers looked like he had a walk-in rushing touchdown and he decided to throw it. And it looked really weird. A lot of people were speculating that that was intentional. I don't know that I buy that, but the sort of humorous side of me would like to say that Aaron Rodgers would probably prefer to miss the playoffs entirely than to lose to the 49ers in the first round again. Yeah, did you see, I don't know if it was verified or not, but there was some report of, you know, Lions players and coaches getting on an elevator and, and teasing the Packers about like, oh, I didn't want to lose to, to that team, the 49ers, a third time. And Packers coaches, you know, telling them that they weren't very classy. And they're like, well, your quarterback said it. So yeah, prob probably fake news. But wouldn't it be funny if Aaron Rodgers is like, hey, at least now we don't have to lose to the 49ers. That, yeah. that would be pretty classic. So Green Bay is not advancing to play them and neither are the Lions. They were eliminated. So that sets us up for Seattle. Third time this year that we're going to be playing them. San Francisco opens as 10-point favorites at home against Seattle. And if that seems generous, I do want to encourage you to remember that the last time we played Seattle, we won by eight under some adverse circumstances. I've seen 49ers fans complaining online that we are the first playoff game. We're playing on a Saturday. You know, we're on short rest. They say, hey, we're the number two seed. Why are we playing on short rest? To me, this is backward thinking. Like, we should not need a full week of rest to beat this Seattle team. You're assuming that we're going to, right? Well, wouldn't you rather beat them and then have an extra day of rest to go against the Vikings or whoever we end up playing next? But yeah, all we did the last time we played Seattle on three days rest 
was win by eight points, you know, even having a, a 15 point lead late in that game. Uh, we had four drives that were kind of scuttled by penalties, some of them sort of BS. We missed a short field goal. You know, we, we still. And Brock Purdy was highly questionable in that game with oblique. a pretty serious, yeah, oblique strain and rib injuries as well. So, yeah, it's football, so anything can happen. But I think you and I agreed coming into this game that if we had to pick one of the three remaining NFC opponents, this is who we wanted. I definitely would prefer Seattle over Green Bay and definitely over the Lions for sure. Um, They're a dangerous offensive team and they fight hard. I did not really want to see the Lions. Um, With the 49ers record, whoever they go up against, obviously they are going to be the favorites. The Packers, it's amazing that they were 3-8 and and the fact that they were even in the conversation means that they really turned it around. So... Obviously, we have dominated the Packers the last few years in the playoffs, but I didn't really want to see them. The law of averages, like how many times can Aaron Rodgers suck it up in the playoffs against the 49ers? There's a case to be made that he was going to do it one more time as, again, their offense has really sputtered. And without Devontae Adams, that's a a huge hole in their offense. Um, That being said, Christian Watson is no slouch either. Really been coming on strong to finish the year. And with the susceptibility of Diamador Lenore in our uh, secondary, having Aaron Rodgers, all it takes is one elite performance from sure. him, and they could be sending, sending him home. The Seahawks are not an impressive team. I think they have the ability to keep it closer. Uh, they're, they're a, vil- a bit, Let me put it this way. Their ability to avoid a blowout, I feel like, is probably stronger than Green Bay. But they are not a huge offensive juggernaut they have really been sputtering down the stretch uh geno smith has interestingly he actually surpassed russell wilson and broke the seahawks franchise record for passing yards this year but he has not looked good uh lately he's looked very frustrated if they try and do the dink and dunk thing with them that's that's a game we're gonna win so i do like the matchup i feel like nine and a half points is a lot in terms of a spread for a playoff game but I think the NFL is expecting this to be a beatdown as well because why else would the 49ers get the very first playoff game at yeah. that time? And Seattle in a must-win game against the Rams was 1-for-11 on third down. You know, Geno Smith can't seem to get to seven yards per attempt passing. And they had you to know, take it to overtime. They missed a field yeah. goal, a chip shot field goal. So. Their, their point differential is plus six for the entire year. They've only scored six more points than their opponents. So, And in the two games previous that they played against us. I think they had one touchdown. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, if you're a 49ers fan, you have to like this matchup. You never want to go in overconfident and that's not something that you need to worry about. The 49ers are not going to take this opponent for granted. That being said, the 49ers are, and absolutely should be favorites in this game. If they somehow lose, that would be a devastating upset. Sure. Uh, elsewhere, you know, there are some other matchups we're going to keep an eye on. I, I kind of like that we get to go first because we get to hopefully, you know, win early and then take the edge off and then just get to <laughs> watch everyone else tear each other apart. Uh, let's do some just rapid fire. Give me give me your impressions. Uh, Chargers at Jaguars, who you like? I think that is probably the sort of most even or, or could be the, the most contested game. The Jaguars have finished really strong and the Chargers, I feel like they're both sort of just good teams it's theoretically possible that either one of them could could make it to the Super Bowl, but it doesn't really feel like it. It feels like wh- whoever wins that game is probably going to lose their next one. Uh, 
I think the Jaguars have a lot of momentum. We don't really do predictions on this podcast, not but typically, yeah, not typically. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's like, come back to that one. I would do that one last. Okay, fine. I'm fine. leaning, I'm leaning Jags in that one. But Dolphins bills. That's going to be bills uh, for sure. Especially yeah. riding the emotional wave of Hamlin and the fact that they are just a much, much better football team. We don't even, know, even if Tua plays and we don't know if he will giants Vikings. Hmm. So <laughs> at least they didn't put Kirk Cousins in prime time. So that I feel helps. like the Vikings do have a chance in this one. <laughs> it's funny. So the Giants obviously, you know, not really trying to win in the final game of the regular season. I feel like the Giants are kind of like a worse matchup for us than the Vikings because we have been susceptible to quarterbacks who can run. Daniel Jones is a running quarterback. He's very mobile. He's really a lot faster than people think. I think he, I I don't know the stats offhand, but I want to say he had over 500 rushing yards this season. Um, So I I feel like that's not necessarily the greatest matchup. You'd have to think the Vikings would be able to pull this one out because they have just been winning every single close game they've been in all year. So is their luck finally going to run out? Um, I I don't think so. I I do think the Vikings are going to win this one. Um, which I think I would prefer, even though Justin Jefferson is a beast and a monster. Sure. If if Mooney Ward is allowed to travel and cover Justin Jefferson, I would rather play the Vikings actually than the Giants, I which sounds I'm, weird. I think I'm with you on that. Baltimore at the Bengals. Uh, the Bengals spanked him this week, and I think they're going to spank him again. So you, Joe Burrow does look like Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone, though. He really <laughs> does. He so was much. funny too. Did you hear they were asking him how long the Bengals win window is? That was and, pretty cocky. And, and that's that's and, the kind of comment that can make you lose in the divisional yeah, round. He's like my whole career. Um, yeah, the, the, yeah. The Super Bowl window is my whole career as long as I'm playing. So it's like, all right. And then the Monday night matchup. I predict that whichever team loses will fire their head coach. Cowboys versus Bucks. Ooh, I don't know. I don't know about that one. I think it makes sense that that is the final sort of primetime game for any casual fans that just watch, you know, maybe one playoff game a week because they're not super invested. Maybe their team is out of contention already. I think that's going to be the game that everybody is watching America's team versus the goat. Basically, um, the Bucks have looked pretty bad all year. Um, Brady did have that sort of renaissance game the week before last where he had three monster touchdowns to Evans. Dallas has looked really bad down the stretch too. So again, we talk about teams that are sputtering and going in the wrong direction. I would say you could you could certainly say that Dallas and Tampa are both kind of on a downward trajectory. I'll pull the trigger. I'm going Bucks in that game. I think that they will pick on Diggs with double moves and, and Evans will have a big game. I just... Dallas does not. Yeah, seem I've got to be I've got some right close time. friends who are Dallas fans, but my mother in law is a huge Tom Brady fan, so <laughs> I guess maybe I she's <laughs> have to go with the mother in law on that one. Yeah, so she's been Bucks. a lifelong Bears fan, but now she lives in Florida, and you know she's, she's on the Brady train for yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, let's let's go back to it. You were kind of on the fence, Chargers or Jaguars. I am going to say Jaguars. Mike Williams got hurt, right? He was carted off. Is he going to play? I, I don't know if he's yeah. going to play, but if he's out, I would say. Definitely, the Jaguars have all the momentum going. We've been in this to that one. stadium too, and Jaguars fans are a lot more passionate than ESPN makes it sounds like. That that is a, a hostile environment, so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, not a lot of fans show up to the games for a, for a playoff game. Of course, you expect the house to be packed, but in terms of regular season matchups, the 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 fans don't always show up. But the ones that do, 
Whew, they, they are hardcore. They let you hear about it. And 49ers, Seahawks, I think we're we're both just going to go ahead and say that the 49ers are going to win that game handily. Yeah, if they don't, um, the podcast is basically just going to have Mozart's Requiem playing <laughs> behind the entire episode next week if they somehow lose. There's just no way. Brock Purdy is going to be nervous. We know he's going to be nervous because he's a human being and he has a pulse. Uh, he does have ice in his veins um, as he likes to shoot up while he's looking directly into his head coach's face. Uh, <laughs> B- BCB, this kid definitely has some cojones. Sorry, like, but Mozart's Requiem, is that like a dance beat? Is that like- yeah, yeah, definitely. That's That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. We're looking forward to it. Um, Should be a a fun Saturday and then a a full weekend of football. But um, that's going to do it for us this week. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter for more 49ers content. We will see you next week. We are the Niners Bros.